Welcome to Orioles on the Verge. This is Zach Spedden, joined as always by Bob Phelan and Nick Stevens. And on tonight's episode, we're going to break down our potential breakout candidates in the Orioles minor league system for the 2024 season. And we're really turning our attention in this episode to the players who may be new to the system or who maybe are a couple of years in but seem like they're poised to take a big step forward in 2024. And the way this works is we're each going to give a hitter and a pitcher that we want to discuss. We'll start with the hitters first before we get into the pitchers and talk about why we think they're going to break out. Maybe it's because they're coming back from an injury. Maybe it's some underlying metrics that suggest that they're about to take a step forward or they're going to thrive in their first full year of pro ball. So with that, I'm going to start with Nick because Nick has selected the hitter that a lot of Orioles fans have been really interested in since last year's draft and are waiting to see what he can do. Yes, uh, I got to switch gears here after the uh, the ownership talk there. Um, I know Bob had Jake Cunningham. Jake Cunningham is my hitter, my hitter pick. Uh, I know Bob had Cunningham on it's a, it's Wednesday. We're trying to record this for the future, and I mess up my days. Uh <laughs> Wednesday, Bob had it. Uh, so I have it. I've listened to it by the time this show comes out. And if you're listening to this on the podcast feed, uh, if you're watching on YouTube live, sorry. Um, but I haven't listened to it yet as of Wednesday. So if I repeat anything, sorry, uh, I will listen to it uh, tomorrow, though. Patreon.com slash on the verge for daily podcast breakdowns featuring our top 50 as we approach the 2024 season. Um, but yeah, it's Cunningham is a guy who I watched a lot of when he was at Charlotte. UNC Charlotte, uh, that team had a, a tremendous outfield last year, but Cunningham specifically was considered one of not just the top outfielders or top hitters, but one of the top athletes in last year's class and not just the Orioles draft class, but the entire MLB draft class. And you're talking about a guy with plus speed, plus power potential. He can stick in center field. We'll see how the outfield situation kind of shakes out at, at each level of the minor leagues because there's, there's depth everywhere, but He's got a big arm. We saw it in a few games last year with Delmarva where he robbed a home run. He's hitting opposite field home run. Uh, I think he only had like one or two with Delmarva, but it was an oppo field shot. I think this guy, looking ahead, his full development, he reaches the major leagues. He could be a guy who you know, hits 20-plus home runs a year, steals 20-plus bags a year. I think coming out of college, he was posting a 90th percentile exit velo of 111, which is absurd. Um, it's literally insane that he's hitting the ball that hard. And I think the knock on him was the plate, despite having good plate discipline and plate recognition, like there was contact concerns, maybe a little bit of swing and miss, but I think he's in the right org, obviously, to fix that. I don't think the swing and miss is going to be a concern when he's got the power and speed that he does. And I think it's kind of hard to find any prospect in this organization, honestly, who has the power, speed, athleticism, defensive, all that combo. Um, it's Jake Cunningham's he's not in a tier of his own, but he's certainly a little bit more unique, I think, than a lot of other prospects in this organization. Yeah. The tool shed. He's, uh, he's a guy that, like you said, he's, he's hitting for that power. I think in a, a workout for the Orioles, he maxed out at 111 exit velocity with a wooden bat. And that's obviously his 90th percentile with the metal bat. So clearly he can hit the ball hard. I think he struggled in college with pitches, 92 mile per hour and up, which I think, like you said, he's in the right organization. I feel like to fix that and kind of 
get used to that, rein that in a little bit, close the gaps in his swing for the swing and miss stuff. I know the Orioles have a lot of drills where like they move the pitching machine like half the distance to the mound. So it's coming at you faster to get your reflexes up. And they do like that really tough batting practice. So you're struggling in practice it makes it look a little bit easier when you're actually in the game. Um, but what I like is that while he's this big power hitting athlete at the plate, he also apparently can stick in center field. Apparently he's got really good instincts for center field and is quick enough, mobile enough, good enough arm to, to play out in center field, could play all three outfield positions, steals bases. I know he had an ankle injury, didn't steal many bases at all in his final year in college, but then he came back out in his professional debut and like stole three or four bases in the short time that he had put up good numbers, but again, FCL Delmarva, that's not really saying much. We'll see what he does. I'm assuming he starts either Delmarva or Aberdeen this season coming up and we'll see what he's, what he's able to do, what positions he plays the most. And if they give him the green light on the bases. Yeah. It's, I think he's just an exciting guy to follow this year because He's uh, another go at a John Rose type who's just, you know, you got all the weapons. Can you put them together and uh, become that five-tool guy? I think one of these guys is going to hit, and they draft a lot of similar type players in this past draft with these toolsy, fast outfielders that can also hit the ball pretty hard. Yeah, Cunningham may very well turn out to be, uh, if he can come close to his ceiling, one of those guys you look back on this draft in three or four years and wonder how did the Orioles get him there? Um, what I'm, you know, what I would say with Cunningham is I wouldn't be shocked if he maybe gets off to a little bit of a slow start next year because he did have some injury concerns last year. And as you both touched on, there are questions about his contact and whether or not the hit tool is going to be consistent. But you look at the skill set that he brings to the table, and it's easy to see where if the Orioles can address the contact concerns. As they have some players that have entered the system recently, his stock will really shoot up within the next year. Yeah, I was I was going to ask if you guys thought that you know Cunningham, if you viewed Cunningham as kind of this you know John Rhodes on steroids type player. Uh, so I'm glad you brought up that because I think he could be that five tool guy. Uh, and I also think that he, if he didn't have the ankle injury, I think there was another injury as well. He would have gone well within the top 100 last year, and the Orioles got him at uh, 154. So keep an eye on him. My other guy is Trace Brights, my pitcher. Uh, I've already thrown out the prediction that Bright wins minor league pitcher of the year in 2024. So I guess I really couldn't go with anyone else uh, for this for this topic here. But like the guy's a six four starter out of Auburn. And I think last year, just overall, it was a successful year. There were some ups and downs, but he did finish the year in Bowie with a 2.12 ERA, 20 strikeouts and 17 double A innings. I know he would have those outings where it's 10 plus strikeouts and like zero or one earned run. And then he followed up his next two or three outings. He gets shelled. He can't make it out of the second or third inning. The results are kind of all over the place, but it's minor league baseball. And something we talk about a lot, especially at the lower levels, it's process over results every day of the week. And if you go back and read Bright's report on John Mioli's top 30 list over at Baseball America, he hits the nail on the head. And I think because he starts off by saying um, what I think is one of the bigger reasons for the ups and down results when you look at Bright season. But Mioli says Bright spent his first full pro season expanding his pitch mix beyond his college repertoire. 
I, I think that hits the nail on the head there. Like he needed to improve. John notes specifically the slider and the changeup. And John noted that both pitches took pretty big leaps forward last year as the season progressed. The slider was more effective in the zone. The changeup became a swing and miss pitch for him. So yeah, I, I love that he was able to kind of work through all that in high A. And then they're like, all right, you're going to double A for the last three weeks or so. Show us what you learn. Like you sit in class all year. Now it's time for the final exam. Uh, and I think I'd say he got like a, a solid B plus on that exam, graduated near the top of his class. And now you just keep building on that at the next grade level, get up to Norfolk, hopefully at some point in 2024 and set yourself up for a big league debut in 2025. If he cleans up the walks, you've got a true breakout season, I think on the horizon for bright. And even if he struggles with the walks, you've still got a guy who, was a fifth round pick who throws what 97 98 miles an hour with a good curve ball swinging his change up he'll find a role somewhere at the bullpen so I'm, I'm excited to watch bright this year absolutely i think you nailed it with trace bright i mean and this is honestly just like prototype what the orioles can do with their pitching guys that they draft in the, in the development system you get a nice hoppy fastball you find someone with another like go-to pitch like with Kyle Bronovich, the knuckle curve or whoever. And then you do what you do. You teach them the slider or the sweeper and you teach them the change up slash splitter, which everybody's learning uh, this off season. But, and if they can make it work, they can expand that repertoire. Like you said, they can become a starting pitching prospect when they're a fifth round pick, a seventh round pick, 10th round pick. Uh, and if not, they'll always have that hoppy fastball and that whatever design off-speed pitch that they came in with and maybe they learned a thing or two along the way and they can become a, a weapon out of the bullpen. So I think this is just the Orioles have guys like this lined up one after the other, all the way from AAA all the way down. But Trace Bright, I do believe, is a guy that showed you that he could be one of the guys that becomes a legitimate starting pitch prospect and uh, could really get some uh, get some attention this year in the minor leagues. And I would not be surprised at all if he's just like striking out 30% of batters and, and he takes down the walks a little bit and really just gets up to AAA and, and is a guy that we're looking ahead to 2025 thinking, okay, when's he going to get his chance in the majors? Yeah, I could absolutely see Bright heading down that path. And what I sort of see him as right now is a prototype of the kind of pitcher the Orioles go after for a lot of reasons that you both mentioned. And I think it's an important reminder that college ERA doesn't really mean a whole lot sometimes because Bright had an ERA of over five in his last season in Auburn. And you look at what he accomplished in his first full year, despite some of the ups and downs early on, he really did put together a solid season. And I thought that he looked better down the stretch which is not an easy thing for a pitcher who's in his first full year of pro ball to do. But I thought that over really July, August, September, Bright looked more consistent, more comfortable in the mound, and the clunkers that we saw early in the year just weren't as apparent. You wouldn't have those runs of bad outings that he seemed to be having like late April, early May, where he would have one good outing and then two bad ones in a row that didn't really seem to be happening. So I think he was getting more comfortable in the mound. The stuff was there late in the year. And I absolutely think that if the Orioles can continue to harness the non-fastball part of his repertoire, 
they've got a potential starter on their hands. Hope so. I think both of these guys, I just love both of these guys and think that you know Cunningham as high as I am on him, and as soon as I made the pick with Cunningham, I was jacked because I had watched so much of him. But I continue, I don't know why, I still keep him so low on my top 50. And I think that's why he's kind of suppressed in our top 50. But as soon as he breaks out in those first couple of weeks, I don't know, he, he maybe starts with Del Marva. I don't know. where. Do, I can't remember where Bob you had him projected to start out at, but I could see him starting out at Del Marva again. Um, regardless, the guy is going to break out this year, and I will have him firmly in the top 20 and Bright in the top like 15 by the end of the year, Top pushing top 10 for Trace Bright, probably with all the graduations we're going to see. Yeah, I do have him at Aberdeen, it looks like, just looking at, the spreadsheet, but I would not be surprised at all if he was back in Delmarva just because there's a lot of outfielders there and he didn't get much time there at the end. So I don't think it would be for long if he was with the Shorebirds, but would not be surprised if that was the case. I guess I'll go ahead to my breakout picks. Um, shout out to Anderson De Los Santos, who I almost went with my bounce back and breakout, but that wouldn't be fun to just focus on one guy for both episodes. So I went ahead with a guy who I feel like if if his signing was announced two months later would have been a much bigger deal and probably would have cost a lot more money for the Orioles. And that's Jordan Sanchez, the Cuban defector, I guess, um, who signed for 450000 in late November, early December. Uh, 18 years old, will be 18 years old all season long, all the way till October 9th. And just a guy out of Cuba who showed big power. What do you know? A guy that the Orioles signed internationally that has hits the ball hard, has big power. Uh, in the Juan Pinto Academy, he batted 328 with 16 home runs and 57 RBIs last year, showing impressive power and contact skills. This is according to Sports Illustrated article on him. Says he's tall and athletic for his age. Um, and the fact that he's already 18 when he signed, I think that can almost be um, – a good thing. It's almost like Cesar Prieto when they signed him out of Cuba. They got a good deal because he signed later in the in the class. And I think maybe he starts immediately in Delmarva if he shows up in spring training and is uh, impressing. Or he starts in the FCL and then can make his way up from there. But uh, I just think it's exciting. Another exciting international guy with power potential that we're not really talking about a lot because we just announced what uh, – 20, 20 other new guys with amazing potential as well, but just wanted to give him a shout out and kind of just get him included in that mix there. Yeah, I feel like we should have added him and a couple of other guys. They signed late. Technically, they would sign late in last year's class. So, like, we just did the international kind of recap episode. I don't think we mentioned any of those guys, but four hundred fifty thousand dollars with kind of that leftover money. With Cesar Prieto, we saw the rumors about what he could have signed for, what he was projected to sign for in a normal period. I want to know how much this kid would have signed for. You look at his height and his size and his power already. I would not be shocked if this is a guy who is looking at close to a, a million dollar signing bonus if he was just a regular international prospect uh, and not constrained by having to leave Cuba. And the timing of that is obviously up in the air. So, um, yeah, I'm pretty jacked to see this kid. He could possibly end up being, I think, one of the top international signings in 
we'll we'll throw him into this class, but I think he could end up being one of the the top guys and certainly one of the guys who moves the quickest. But like like they did with Cesar Prieto as well, and we saw it we saw it with Prieto when he first joined the organization, and we kind of assumed like could he start in Double A? Like how high could he start? We know that the Orioles are going to they're not going to push these guys uh, to the limit. Luis Almeida last year we thought he's going to start in FCL. He was in the DSL. So I think for sure he starts in the DSL, and then we see how high he goes. But if he's hitting, he'll be stateside, I think, by early summer, midsummer. Yeah, completely agree. I, from the little bit of video we've seen so far, which is mostly batting practice footage, I really believe that Sanchez is coming into this organization with a lot of raw power. And you add that in, a guy that hits from the left side, projectable frame. I think he's listed right now about 6'1", 175 or so. So he is going to get stronger. And you really want to see how that left-handed power develops. Um, You know, a lot more to discover here, but I like this pick. Okay, well, then I'll move on to my pitcher, who is another guy who could go either way. Could see him becoming a pretty dominant reliever just because he has, like, this one knockout pitch that he can go to at will to to get it out. I feel like in short stints, but also if he adds some velocity and I will say his name eventually, uh, if he adds some velocity and some consistency to his other off-speed stuff, I think he could end up being a starting pitching prospect. That's Cameron Weston, who was a eighth round pick in the 2022 draft out of Michigan signed for just under $200,000. He's 23, doesn't turn 24 until the end of August. And, you know, he, Got a lot of time at high A Aberdeen last year at 22 years old. Got into 12 games, three starts, 40 innings pitched, pitched to a 2.68 ERA, struck out just under 30% of batters, only walked 7%. Uh, does not give up many homers, but his one pitch is kind of like a uh, Devin Williams esque sidewinding changeup that is just beautiful to watch. And he's also got some interesting. Other off-speed pitches that could use some work, but show promise. And I think he's, what, in the low 90s? I think he, he like, sits 90, 91 typically. But maybe if he gets up to sitting 92, 93, you know, they can do a little bit more with that uh, as a starter profile. But in the meantime, I just – I don't know. It's almost tempting for me to just say turn him into a pure reliever and just watch him shoot up the system and, you know, maybe even <laughs> – make the uh the majors by the end of this year if you want that route but something tells me they will continue to stretch him out and, and work on things and then eventually make the decision when it, one needs to be made yeah i pulled up my notes because i did cameron weston with our top 50 update a week or so ago and he's he there was an interview earlier or later last year when he was with aberdeen and according to weston himself he does have the changeup, a sinker, a cut fastball, a sweepy slider that the Orioles developed since he was drafted, uh, and a harder slider and a forkball. The kids got all of it. Um, and yeah, it, it was like he was sitting like low 90s. I think he touched 96 in college. I don't know what he touched last year, but he was still sitting in the low 90s. So, But I think in this interview, I think it was a, a Steve Molesky interview, um, that I completely missed. I only found when I was doing the research uh, earlier the other week for that episode, but he mentioned this offseason his goal was to add more weight and bulk up and add more velo. So I'm anxious to see what that velo is, but yeah. And even just the, 
he had an injury and I think it was, I'm trying to find it here. What exactly it was tendonitis. He developed tendonitis uh, right at the end of spring camp. So that's why he didn't start until later in the year. But when he did super high ground ball rate, a lot of strikeouts. And the interesting note that I was trying to pull out of here, um, his starts, he was using the piggyback role and he was always part two of the piggyback except for two outings last year. And I thought this is a fun cherry pick stat, but which probably doesn't mean anything, but it's still fun to look at. And the two times where he started the game, he went five innings in each of those starts, which was a season high. And he had 15 strikeouts to just one walk. So uh, overall, just, yeah, good year. Interesting guy. I think he's a really fun case study here for the pitching development in, in this organization because he could go in a variety of different ways. Yeah, absolutely. I, I loved what we saw from Weston last year. To be for someone who was just drafted, had just been drafted the year before, didn't really get much time in pro ball after the draft, to miss the first two months of the season, have one outing in the FCL, and then hit Aberdeen in mid-June with no prior high A experience, and get off to the start that he did, he went through his first three outings without giving up an earned run there. And that set the tone for what, he did really well the entire time he was in Aberdeen. Keep the ball on the ground, don't walk anybody, and rack up the strikeouts despite not having that dominant fastball. And you both touched on it. He's got a really versatile repertoire of pitches. And the Orioles can go any number of ways with him. I think the hybrid role for now is good because you give him the opportunity to get stretched out and you can see where you want to build him up long term. But there's a number of ways you can go. And I really think that he's a guy that going into this year is poised for a breakout. I'll go over to mine now and I'll start with my hitter. And that is Matthew Etzel uh, pick for the Orioles last year out of Southern Miss. And Etzel really had first started to burst onto the scene in 2022 with a really good run in the MLB draft league with Williamsport. So despite a strong summer performance, he went unselected in the draft and then ended up transferring to Southern Mississippi, put together a good year last year in the Sun Belt Conference, and the Orioles were able to nab him in the 10th round. And then once he got into the Orioles system, he hit the ground running, running off a few numbers here. 91 plate appearances across three levels. He batted 314 with a walk percentage of just over 15%, strikeout rate just under 19%, a 164 WRC+, and two homers. The one question that you see with Edsel that pops up from time to time is the power. Right now, MLB Pipeline has it just at a 40 grade, but you can see glimpses of raw power there that's easy to see where Edsel maybe could top out as a low to mid double digits home run hitter at the highest level. You combine that, though, with the fact that he's got a solid hit tool, an excellent defensive uh, skill set that includes good speed, good fielding range, solid arm, and he's got a little bit of everything. He may not be a true five-tool player. He has a little bit of everything, though. And, Nick, I think you hit that nail on the head recently in one of our Patreon episodes for the countdown. But I see Edsel as one of those guys that coming into this year has a really good raw skill set, has been able to build on that and get progressively better over the last couple of years in college. And the Orioles with further refinement can allow him to take it to the next level. The two things that I really want to see this year, number one, how much power is there? Because we saw glimpses of more power than what a lot of the scouting reports suggested last summer. So 
was that a fluke um, or is that a sign that there is a little bit more there than what we realized at this point? And the other thing is I really want to see him get some time in center field, which is not going to happen a whole lot as long as he's playing alongside Enrique Bradfield Jr. But hopefully there comes a point where maybe Bradfield gets promoted a little bit ahead of Etzel and Etzel gets time in center field or they start to mix and match the two as the season goes on. Because it seems like he has everything you're looking for defensively in a center fielder. It's just that he came into the Orioles system last year and predominantly played right field because he was alongside Bradfield. So there's a lot of unknowns, I think, with Etzel, but the promise is real. And you look at what he did last summer, and I think it's easy to get excited. Yeah, got off such a great start. And I'm not going to lie, he's got a little bit of a funky swing. He's kind of reminds me of like a left-handed Billy Cook in a way, a guy who's on the come up. I mean, it's not the worst comparison, but he can certainly go get it defensively. Like, like I was saying with this last draft, these college guys that they got like all these center fielders, all these guys that can play all three outfield spots and, and definitely an athlete, definitely that hit tool. And I think we've seen that the Orioles, they can get some, some extra loft out of guys that just hit the ball hard. So I think we saw that with Jordan Westberg. I mean, he wasn't like a guy that was projected to have 20 plus homer power when he was drafted. I feel like you could say that about him now though. Um, so yeah, very intrigued to see how Etzel develops. He, again, he, he was walking, he was getting on base, stealing tons of bases. All these guys are like really fast. They have good hit tools, can go get the ball in center field and, and hit the ball hard. And yeah, you just hit it in the air a little bit more and, and all of a sudden, you're a much better prospect as soon as you do that. And I, I could see that happening for Etzel absolutely this year. For whatever reason, I just feel like he's going to continue to get overlooked as well, even if he does put up the numbers. But that's kind of been the story with him throughout his like whole career because it, it, he's got a fun kind of backstory where he started at Texas A&M, and I don't even think he made it to baseball season his freshman year before he transferred. But he crushed it at the JUCO level. He went to the draft league, like Zach mentioned. He crushed it there. I think he was considered one of the top hitters in the draft league, which, you know, the competition isn't great, but it's designed to give guys like Etzel uh, some some play and some run uh, and get all their data out there in front of MLB scouts, but still didn't get drafted. But then he goes to a top 25 program in Southern Miss, a very good college baseball program, and was like their everyday leadoff hitter and excelled. And I think the Orioles found a real gem here is what 10th round draft pick. Again, the power is going to come. He hits for a good average. He gets on base at high clip and the stolen bases. I mean, this if you go back to his entire college career and you include his time with the Orioles, I think as well, this guy was, I lost the numbers. He was like 93 for 93 for 104 in stolen base attempts in his career, going back to his Juco days. Um, but he did. I think he I found another interview where he talked about how that was his focus since joining the organization was tapping in to more power and hopefully next year pumping up the exit velo numbers. He's made the tweaks to a swing. He did that back in college, started getting more power. So hopefully the Orioles continue that trend. Again, one of those guys who was on the come up and the Orioles decided to uh, grab him. Uh, I think I would not be shocked at all if you know he's kind of on the Calzer Mayo Ortiz John Rhodes list next year of guys who we see his average exit velo jumps like three, four miles per hour from last year to this year. And I kind of mentioned when I think I had Edsel as well in the, the top 50 program, 
I kind of said I get Colton Cowser vibes here with Matthew Etzel in a sense that like he's teetering on this this balance of like I don't know do do we get more power out of him and hope that doesn't like sacrifice like more strikeouts or cause more strikeouts or the average to go down or the walks to go down or do we just lean into this you're going to be a gap to gap guy with speed and you know be a table setter type guy. It's it's going to be fun to see kind of where the Orioles decide to go with uh, his development. I'll go over to my pitcher now, and truthfully, it's a guy that I could have picked for our bounce back episode a couple weeks ago, but I felt like it was a little misleading because this is someone who doesn't have much of a track record in professional baseball, and that's Juan Rojas, the young left-hander who, on the night we're recording this, actually turns 20 years old. So happy birthday to Juan um, a couple of days later. Rojas was part of the Jorge Lopez trade, was the youngest pitcher that came over in that deal from the Twins. At the time he was in the, the FCL, he would finish the season in the FCL with the Orioles. And coming into last year, he was a guy that looked like he could emerge as a good starting pitching prospect. Ticketed for Del Marva, had a fastball that typically ran in the low 90s, but could hit the mid 90s sometimes to go as a really good slider and a developing changeup. Unfortunately, an injury kept him out well into the summer. And then when he came back, he struggled. You look at the numbers, especially the walk numbers, and they're not pretty between two levels. But you got to remember, it's only 32 innings that he pitched last year coming off of the injury. I don't think that he had his full repertoire back. And I think that getting the opportunity to have a normal spring training leading into the start of the regular season, an opportunity to build up get comfortable on the mound in a full season ball environment is going to do wonders for robots, even if it doesn't show itself right away, because the foundation I think is there for him to be at least an interesting left-handed pitching prospect. You kind of look at the tiers right now of pitchers in the farm system, and you've got three in the Orioles organization that are left-handed, that are young, that have some potential. You got Luis De Leon, you've got Davey Cruz, You've got Juan Rojas. Those are three guys you can pick out right away. Rojas, of those three, does not have the most exciting stuff. I think Cruz and De Leon definitely are more what we come close to considering electric. But there's still a really solid arsenal of pitches that Rojas has to offer that the Orioles, I think, can develop and really over the next couple of years see him grow as a pitcher. And I think that as long as he can get a full healthy season in this year, you're going to see glimpses of that. Yeah. Honestly, I was surprised he pitched at all in 2023 after we heard he was injured coming out of camp and it took so long for him to get into the game action. I think the fact that he came back and pitched at all is probably a good sign as far as 2024 goes and bouncing back or breaking out. He could do both. Um, yeah. I think, you know, there's a reason he was targeted in that trade at the time. He was one of the, the more intriguing guys. I feel like for us, when the trade went down, being so young, a lefty and, and like the, the repertoire, like you said, I think by now he might be at the bottom of that list just because you near Cano popped. Kate Povich is obviously in our top 15 ish area. No spoilers for the countdown, but, um, and then uh, Juan Nunez kind of broke out a little bit last year, or at least continued to emerge and, for the fact that Rojas barely pitched at all. And when he did, it wasn't exactly successful too much. Um, 
kind of puts him behind those guys, but I still think there's plenty of potential there, and he's still pretty darn young. So plenty of time to go, and yeah, I, I like him a lot still. Yeah, just the trade that keeps on giving. Um, you know, like you mentioned, Povich could be in the big leagues at some point this year, and Cano's coming off an all-star season. And if you're paying attention, like Juan Nunez, if he has a breakout year this year, it's not going to be sneaking up on anybody because I think some national outlets have been giving him some love. But yeah, I don't know what the injury was. I think I remember doing some like Instagram sleuthing and feel like maybe it was elbow related, but I don't know if I've ever seen anything like a hundred percent exactly what that injury was. So I'm just speculating there regardless. He didn't pitch until closer to the end of the year, like you guys mentioned. So I really don't care about the numbers that he had done there in Delmarva in the FCL because you look at his go back to his rookie ball numbers, the strikeout and walk numbers were phenomenal. Uh, and so that was his claim to fame. I think it was rebounding from the injury. Like Zach said, maybe the stuff was, all wasn't there. Maybe he's trying to, you know, little pitching a little bit more cautiously and whatever that injury was, I don't know, but I'm giving him a kind of complete reset button going into this year and just excited to see what he can do. I imagine he starts the year in Delmarva. I just want to see what it looks like and kind of two things. Does he get those walks back down? Was that just a result of the injury? And if so, great. And then, like you guys mentioned as well, the velo, because I know when he came over from Minnesota, it was like 89, 90, 91. So, like, if we can get that velo up and the walk and strikeouts look good again with Delmarva, he's right back on path. Because, like you said, he's just turned 20. He's still a super young guy. So, plenty of time in his development. Just keep the strikeouts up, keep the walks down, get the velo up. He's like, what, six something? He's a, he's a, potentially beefy kid uh i think there's more velo in there as well so hopefully we start to see that from him and of course as other players break out in the 2024 season we're pretty confident in these six guys breaking out but as more players break out in the 2024 season we will be with you every step along the way we are getting closer to spring training which means our top 50 prospects countdown is ramping up right now we're about to hit the top 25 so if you're not a patreon member already Go over and subscribe, and for as little as three hours a month, you can be a paying member at the five and ten dollar levels. You will have access to bonus daily coverage. In addition, you can check us out on our multitude of social media channels, including Facebook, Instagram, Threads, X, um, TikTok, as well as Substack. We're over there at OriolesOnTheVerge.substack.com. We will be back next week. We might be joined by a special guest. Stay tuned for an announcement on that. In the meantime, for Bob Phelan and Nick Stevens, this is Zach Spedden. You've been listening to Orioles on the Birds, part of the Believe Podcast Network.